You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert! No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Jeffrey, which came out in 1995, and was directed by Christopher Ashley. It stars Stephen Weber, Patrick Stewart, Brian Batt, Michael T. Weiss, Sigourney Weaver, Robert Klein, Peter Maloney, Deborah Monk, Kathy Najimy, and Nathan Lane. The genre would be romantic comedy. Jeffrey, you are being ridiculous. Can you tell if you're having a nervous breakdown? This sex thing has got completely out of hand. Dad, I've stopped having sex. My dear, what you need is a relationship. A relationship? Hmm. And shoes. Steve. Jeffrey? <laughs> Jeff. You had a boyfriend, then you could relax. Oh, and what about this person, Steve? Oh. From the first second I saw you, I fantasized about you, letting you do things to me that I have only permitted with 5,000 other men. I mean, Jeffrey, it's just sex. You know, in a better world, I could ask you to square dance. Oh, look, a wholesome gay couple. I have kind of a unique relationship to this movie. This is likely the only instance that I can recall having seen the stage version of a story just a couple of years before seeing the film version of it. And this was a direct adaptation of the same story and by the same writer as the feature film. And this was back in the mid-90s, too, when the mere existence of a gay rom-com with a happy ending, no less, and populated with several stars at the time, including Sigourney, Sir Patrick, Nathan Lane, just a year before he'd break out with the birdcage, it all felt completely groundbreaking. Skip Winkley, and welcome to It's Just Sex, the show where we explore human sexuality and win big prizes. Remember, each question may have more than one correct answer. The most stylish reply wins. Thank you, Cheryl. Isn't she lovely? Look who I'm asking. (laughs) Question number one. What seemingly harmless events can now be fatal if they occur during sex? A paper cut. Recent dental work? Fluorescent lighting. Correct for 100 points. Question number two. Who is your favorite sexual fantasy? Denzel Washington. That guy at the gym. Yoko Ono. To see the apartment. And rewatching it now for the first time in at least two decades, it still actually feels somewhat groundbreaking. I mean, Bros, previous episode Bros, is obviously the most one-to-one comparison recently. But look at the backlash caused by that film's release. Although, the stage-to-screen transition feels a bit clunkier this time, and some of the humor a bit less edgy. I mean, there's a priest bit that does not play nearly as well for complex reasons. You're really a priest? Of course! But aren't you supposed to be straight and, and, and celibate? Maybe you didn't hear me. I'm a Catholic priest. Historically, that falls somewhere in between chorus boy and florist. But fortunately, this movie does retain the heart. 
And that's thanks to a very game cast and a touching screenplay by legendary 90s writer Paul Rudnick, adapting his own stage play of the same name. I first got to know Rudnick around this time for writing irreverent columns discussing the latest movies for Premier Magazine, under the identity, pen name, of Libby Gelman Waxner. Yeah, it was a surprise to me at the time, too. And yes, he was a gay man writing humorous takes on film and marriage disguised as a straight married woman. So yes, his, her perspective was an unusual one, but always funny and often touching. In these columns, there was sometimes discussion geared towards gender identity, as you would expect. But more often, we would just hear Libby's biting takes on the latest blockbusters like Ghost or Indecent Proposal in the context of her observations related to sex and relationships. We also saw some of this biting humor in Rudnick's screenplays for comedy blockbusters at the time, like Sister Act or In-N-Out. Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? It was a sequel. She was under contract. Fuck Barbara Streisand! But never more so than throughout the story of Jeffrey. Honestly, both stage and screen versions barely have stories. Jeffrey is really more a series of vignettes or possibly even standalone skits involving the titular character. Now, as to whether that's enough to sustain a 90-minute movie for you, well, mileage may vary. It's certainly the type of structure more suited for a stage performance, especially one with three separate acts with intermissions in between them. But for me, the scattershot approach still works for this movie. It helps keep Jeffrey's journey towards opening his heart compelling, in spite of the actor actually portraying him. I'll get to him in just a bit. The rest of the cast is working genuinely hard here, and pretty much shines, including the chiseled Michael T. Weiss playing Steve, the gregarious object or subject of Jeffrey's affections. Though I do wish that his character was given a bit more to do. The two standouts, though, who happen to provide the emotional core of the movie are Sterling and Darius, a cheerful May-December couple played by Sir Patrick Stewart and Brian Bett. I mean, I really do love Darius. I love his body. I love his smile. He has great hands and feet. I mean, on some dancers, the toes are all smushed. And I would just simply say, sorry, Misha, uh-uh, not without socks. They are both just going for it portraying Jeffrey's best friends, and they definitively bring it all home in the third act, no less. Especially Bat, in one key moment, which I'll also get to in a bit. In fact, this actor, Brian Bat, leaves such an impression, it continuously had me wondering if I had seen him since. I swear, the dude looks very much like a baby-faced Zachary Quinto, which had me wondering if he was until I checked IMDb. It's uncanny, and doing the math, it even kind of worked, as Quinto was around 18 back in 95, which I would have thought this character might have been maybe a little older. Alas, Brian Bat was actually in his early 30s when filming this. Oh, well. And yes, I'm in Cats. Now and forever. And I love it. I do. I figure I was too young for a chorus line and too happy for Les Mis. I never got that show. Les Mis. I mean, it's about this French guy, right? Who steals a loaf of bread and then he suffers for the rest of his life. For toast. Get over it. Incorrect Star Trek associations aside, even though Picard is on board here, the movie still works. Not all of the body humor lands the same, and the stage adaptation seems do show a bit, but it still delivers enough laughs and feels to satisfy as a somewhat trailblazing rom-com for its time. Yes! Yes! The homosexual. I can walk. You can always walk. Shut up. Hey there. Hit me. 
Um, uh, Deborah, um, I think that sex is, is just about the best thing ever. <laughs> um, but I've met someone, and he's HIV positive, and I'm about to self-destruct. Now, I'm a waiter, so I can't afford your cassettes or the mug or the calendar. Do they mention this problem? They sure do. It's in my book, Chapter 10, Cheap Waiters. <laughs> and this brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Honestly, considering that this movie came out in the mid-90s, which had its share of great dance music and great dance soundtracks like Train Spotting or The Last Days of Disco or The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the soundtrack for this movie is a bit of a letdown. Sorry. Because you can tell that they were definitely going for a dancey vibe here. But there's no Pet Shop Boys, no Kylie Minogue. What gives? If I had to guess, this was a pretty low-budget affair, so it might have just been a matter of not being able to afford the rights. That said, there is one standout moment about 35 minutes in, which revolves around music, and it also happens to be the one scene where we see the Steve character alone just by himself. He just got to his apartment late at night, and there's a message on the answering machine from Jeffrey, who is offering up a lame last-minute excuse to cancel their date that night. Steve is clearly disappointed, and what happens next is a musical trope which has lasted decades, from Donald O'Connor's celebratory dance on the street in Singing in the Rain to Kevin Bacon rage dancing at the warehouse in Footloose. Yes, this would be the solo dance scene. And this particular one from Michael T. Weiss playing Steve probably leans a bit closer to the one in Footloose. After listening to his disappointing message, his character then puts on his stereo to play the catchy dance single Helpless by the electronic dance duo Urbanized. First, Weiss starts to sway to the beat, and he then launches into a desperate, dramatic spin in the middle of his dark den to the percolating house beats of this song. Now, even though it maybe lasts for roughly a minute, it's still a touching moment for his character, as he conveys everything he needs to, including loneliness and frustration. The full title of the song is actually Helpless, I Don't Know What to Do Without You, and it was released as a single in 1992. And as far as I can tell, it's the only thing ever released by Urbanized, though as individual producers, both members, John Ciafoni and Lem Springsteen, no relation to Bruce, they would go on to collaborate on many dance music projects throughout the early 90s and 2000s. But this moment, this song, it really works, and it's a nice dramatic showcase from Michael T. Weiss. From this point on, we really feel for his character. And that brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent, the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, don't get me wrong. I have never found Steven Weber to be a particularly bad actor. I mean, he has his moments here, too. But from his leading role on the sitcom Wings, to his thankless cheating boyfriend in Single White Female, to his more recent mannered portrayal of a despicable music teacher in the otherwise enjoyable and enjoyably batshit Netflix thriller The Perfection, I've always just found him as an actor to be a bit bland. 
mean, no doubt, he's a good-looking dude with some screen presence, so maybe it's just me. But him playing Jeffrey, it actually does kind of end up working in this movie's favor, no less. Weber is, at the very least, a reliable straight man, reverse pun may be intended, to much of the inspired lunacy and heartfelt emotion surrounding his character. He's a good center, at least, for all this. Still, overall, I think this movie and the lead performance could have benefited from a better actor with more charisma. Just me. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Now, regarding the third act of this movie, there's an emotional sequence in a hospital corridor which works so well that it pretty much raises the overall movie a few notches. Bottom line, this movie does not work if this sequence does not work. We have Jeffrey's best friends, Sterling and Darius, both dealing with tragedy and also dispensing some sad and uplifting advice to our main protagonist as a result. You know, Darius once said that you were the saddest person he ever knew. Why did he say that? Because he was sick. Because he had a fatal disease. And he was one million times happier than you. You loved Darius. And look what happens. Do you want me to go through this? With Steve? Yes. And it's during this scene that we are reminded just how fantastic an actor Sir Patrick Stewart has always been, despite often being mired in genre work. I mean, everybody knows him as Captain Picard or Professor X. Because he has always been one of those Shakespearean legends who would excel at saying so much while seemingly doing very little. And even more so, there are just a couple of lines of dialogue from Brian Batt playing Darius, wearing Cat's garb no less. His character is actually an actor on the Broadway show for Cats. Well, these lines of dialogue from him just broke me. And this also results in Weber having his best acting moment in the movie as well. Jeffrey, I'm dead. You're not. I know that. You do? Prove it. What, what do you mean? <laughs> Go dancing. Go to a show. Make trouble. Make out. Hate AIDS, Jeffrey. Not life. And that brings me to the final category. The MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As a director, Christopher Ashley, he does a serviceable job. He clearly had a limited budget to work with, and he makes the most of it, generally making good use of several Manhattan locations as well. But at the end of the day, the main creative force behind this movie is, of course, Rudnick. His ambling screenplay is filled with memorable characters and situations, all leading to an effective conclusion. What's nice is even though this story has a lot to say, it also never sinks to speechifying. It's not preachy. Even so, Rudnick's biggest strength as a writer has always been a brassy sense of humor. And even by 2023 standards, there's just too much good stuff to ignore, though a couple of scenes do fall a bit flatter, mainly that pre-scene which I mentioned earlier, and which I also do remember bringing down the house on the stage back in 94. One scene that did bring down the house back in the 90s, and also this time around, is an absurdly inappropriate exchange which Jeffrey has with his parents over the phone roughly halfway through the movie. Though not in the way that you would think, as they look like straight-laced Midwestern folks as played by Peter Maloney and Deborah Monk. They are not only comfortable discussing their son's sex life with him, but gleefully enthusiastic about it. Well, howdy, stranger. It's Jeff! Well, isn't this a special occasion? What if I could really talk to them? What if they had some answers? Or would that just be too weird? Dad, I've stopped having sex. Eileen, Jeff stopped having sex. Oh, I've got it up here, dear. No sex. You mean just safe sex, don't you, dear? Uh, no, Mom, I hate safe sex. 
wrestling those condoms. Water-based lubricant. Dry kissing. Sweetheart, are you a top or a bottom? Mother, have you tried any of those workshops? Oh, what about a jerk-off club? Hmm. What helps the scene work is the brevity of it. There's rapid-fire dialogue, and before you can even really process most of what he's hearing from them, the scene is over. How about phone sex? What? Oh, Fred, let's help him out. Sweetheart, what are you wearing? Uh, uh, sweats and a t-shirt. Oh, that's hot. That's very hot. Are you alone? Dad, I'm not going to have phone sex with you and Mom. Darling! It does exactly what it sets out to do, advancing the main character's story, and without dragging it on or beating a dead horse, akin to your typical SNL skit. And that's this movie in a nutshell. Fast, funny, and relatable, even with an obvious scattershot approach from the get-go. For creating and writing an entertaining rom-com through his own unique perspective, Paul Rudnick is the MVP. You know, I am absolutely delighted to be gay, and I consider it a gift to be, to be able to write gay characters. And it's wonderful to have that kind of fresh material that hasn't been covered a million times. Also, I think what's I found, especially with this play, is that sometimes when you use characters who haven't been traditionally included, everyone gets a fresh perspective. That if you were writing just about Adam and Eve, the audience, gay and straight, would say, we've heard these stories a million times. But when you use gay characters, African-American characters, Asian-American characters, suddenly it's a new story for everyone, and you can explore the big topics, life, love, death, the existence of God, in ways that get everyone thinking. My rating for Jeffrey would be three and a half stars out of five. Even 28 years after the release of this small gem, the mainstream marketplace for gay-themed rom-coms has been mostly too few and far in between. Fortunately, that seems to slowly be changing with a recent mini-surge over the past few years with the releases of Fire Island, Single All the Way, and Love, Simon, plus previous episodes Happiest Season and Bros. While I would say that most of these are a bit better than Jeffrey, this movie still deserves to be revisited, not only for its status as one of the first, but with one of the better laugh ratios that you're likely to find in any rom-com, gay or straight. And as I'm about to lay out, it is so easy to find this movie, so check it out. And of course... Happy Pride Month. And if you're looking to watch Jeffrey, it is currently streaming on, check this out, Peacock TV, Roku, Hoopla, Voodoo, Canopy, Pluto TV, and Tubi. So no excuse, you can find this movie. There's even a lower quality version free on YouTube, believe it or not. And that ends another positive, in a good way, review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Cinema.